0: G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm really excited to have my financial planner Stuart Wames from Pro Solutions along to talk about asset selection, such an important topic that is critical to the success of your investing. So we talk about what to buy and how that can fit into an overall plan. How important is buying well and the timing of your purchase? They also talk about what, what sort of role property development can have. It's going to be a great episode. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. G'day, Stuart. Thanks so much for coming along to the podcast today. Really excited to be talking about asset selection and getting your inside view. So tell us, how important is buying the right property for someone?
1: I mean, it's a a great question, Jared. And my simple answer is I can't overstate how important it is. In fact, I think you can probably get everything else wrong in terms of the ownership structure, the loan structure, how you fund it, The property manager, I don't know, almost everything else wrong. But if you get the right asset, sure, it will be relatively inefficient. You'll waste a bit of money along the way, but it will still work. Like when I say work, it will still help you build wealth, personal wealth. And I think that the challenge of educating people about asset selection, and so that's what I term asset selection in terms Mm. of which asset to select in order to invest in, it is very difficult because what we need to do is take a very long term view you know mm. what we're trying to do it's unlike stocks where you can you can maybe or at least you can hear about stories of people picking a stock investing in a stock and they've received in a thousand times return in 12 months or something like that and property just doesn't do that it's a slow burner but it gathers it's like a snowball rolling down a hill it gathers significant momentum And when you convert, I mean, percentages are important, but when you look at the momentum from a dollar value growth perspective year on year, that's really where the power is, the the power of compounding growth. But we need to wait a, a significant amount of time to really enjoy those benefits. So, when I'm purchasing a property today, I'm really thinking that It'll give me some good returns over the next 10 years. The second 10-year period will be great and the third 10-year period will be outstanding. Mm. But there's not too many people that are willing to make an investment today and wait 20 or 30 years for all the benefits. When I say all the benefits, I would say all the significant benefits over and above really any other investment opportunity that's available. And look, it is
0: hard to extend out your thinking over that sort of a time horizon and, and that's why I do love absorbing your mindset and and others that have come before me because when you're starting out you're just trying to make a dollar and find the quickest way to do it and it leads you to be sucked down to i guess focusing on buying that property really well not necessarily buying the right property that's going to stack up for 30 years so it's definitely a trap that is easy to fall into and then you you wake up in your 5 years 10 years down the the journey. You look at the assets you've selected, and you'd see the inside view, and have done. You see the the inside of
1: everyone's financials, so so you know uh, how those selections have gone, don't you? Yeah, that's right. And and look, it is incredibly tempting to focus on the short term. Nothing makes me feel better than making a hundred thousand dollars in one day on a on an asset. You know that that is a great. I mean, it's a great outcome. No one's going to say no. Yeah, no one's going to say no to that. But really, the question is: is that if I did that, is that really the answer? Is that really the answer to sort of building wealth? Well, if you could do it every single day and consistently well and not make a mistake, of course, it's a fantastic answer. But therein lies the problem: is that if I'm shorting for short, if I'm shooting for short-term returns my probability of achieving those returns and, and being able to do it consistently well is really, really low. Yeah, and that's why that's
0: where the game's at, isn't it? Where where it's won and lost. That's over why the stock, long term
1: yeah, stock traders, you you see those courses of trading stocks, trading options, <laughs> trading currency, you know, all yes, those I'll sorts be, um, of things.
0: I'm gonna record a mistakes episode coming up and I've got <laughs> a, a doozy of one of mine uh, yeah. inserted in there. So yeah, right. living high up nearly 200,000 I was and and then maintaining that and keeping consistent is another story.
1: Yeah, so. exactly right. So that's why you know the vast majority of people just don't make money from those short-term trading what do you call it courses or strategies mm. or marketing products, you know that short-term profit never drives long-term value and really all we're after is long-term value. And quite often uh, short-term profit comes at the cost of generating long-term long-term value as well. So, yeah, okay. you know, you've got to ask yourself, when do you want to achieve financial retirement? Well, tomorrow would be great. Reality is it might take me 10 or 20 years. So, therefore, make your investment decisions based on a 10 or 20-year time- timeline. Mm-hmm. And that all invite you to avoid the temptation to make decisions that are based on short-term profit and therefore make sure you focus your decisions on generating long-term value.
0: And what have you seen when someone does select the wrong property what what typically what are the spiraled effects of that downstream
1: missed opportunity cost really i mean if we say if i say to you look jared you've got to own a property for 15 years before you start to really enjoy a lot of capital growth so like for example if you if you invested in a a 1 million dollar property and it grew at let's just say a really conservative and say 6% you know, in that first 10-year period, you're going to generate circa $800,000 of capital growth, which is which is significant. But that capital growth increases to 2.2 after 20 years and $4.7 million after 30 years. So, as you can see, most of the capital growth is coming in that sort of period between 10 and, and 30 years. So, the, it's like the, our
0: brains just can't follow the compounding nature. No, we think linearly, and we think about how, and that limits what we almost can imagine for ourselves too. And think, how could buying one property equate to that much?
1: Yeah, and a and a one and a half million dollar house in a great blue chip suburb in Melbourne would have cost eighty, ninety thousand dollars in the mid eighties. You know, in the mid eighties, if I had have come to you and said that's going to be worth one and a half thousand in twenty twenty one, you would have gone, "You're crazy. No one could afford." To pay one point five million dollars for that asset, so that's the other mental leap that we have to make as well. as how could this property ever be worth that much uh, in thirty years' time? Uh, well, except history leaves clues, and and history tends to repeat itself. Uh, so, and there's what no about guarantees. to the people
0: that say, "Oh, how could anyone afford a property when it's three million and, and $6 million? And I've, I think I've heard you discuss on another podcast that. There is changing nature of trends in wages and and if you're going to put your money anywhere, putting it where people are likely to have pay increases and be able to afford better and better properties, it makes a lot more sense that the outer areas, those that are in lower socioeconomic areas, their wage increases are not going to be as strong and just elaborate on that a bit because i know we've had a, a big surge in in lending that's changed things and that's really going to probably
1: play a big part ahead as well yeah and look the the when we're talking about blue chip property you know property located in very highly sought after locations tends to be sort of two to seven or eight k's from a cbd capital city cbd so that sort of locality. Uh, when we're talking about that, wage growth is important. It's one component, but really it's overall wealth and overall mm. standing of people that want to get into that location. So as you can imagine, someone that had has invested well, have sold their business, have inherited some monies, those sorts of things, On when they complete the census, they, they might not be declaring a lot of income or in fact have a lot of earned income, P-O-Y-G income, but they've got a significant asset base, and that asset base allows them to be able to get into those markets or extend property in those markets, buy additional property, so so forth. So mm. it's really the overall wealth effect. And so when we look at the distribution of wealth, we know that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Not only in Australia, but also that's that's a trend that's been occurring over the last century and and beyond. And, and unfortunately, you know, we can argue about the social impact of that, and, you know, I don't think anyone's going to disagree that it's not a good outcome, that the reality is that's that's not going, that trend's not going to abate. You know, it's going going to get worse. You know, the rich will continue to get richer. So, you know, the top 20% of Australians own about nearly 70% of household wealth. So, really what you want to do is you want to invest in a location where that top 20% want to live or are living. And if you're doing that, uh, you don't really need to worry, or at least you're not so reliant on wage inflation to generate an increasing buying power. What you're really banking on is those people are getting get wealthier, uh, yeah. and also we can't we can't ignore the massive transfer of wealth that's going to occur from baby boomers onto the the next generation. You know, that'd be nice that have,
0: if uh, my parents <laughs> had done a, <laughs> had done a few things and were leaving it to me, but uh, hopefully my daughter will. Uh, experience the benefits (laughs) yeah of first generation wealth
1: (laughs) i know i could have chosen my parents better as well (laughs) unfortunately um, i won't benefit but you know if people have bought a family home it's not to be underestimated is it in a great blue chip area 40 years ago they'd be sitting on millions of dollars of equity and it's just been random luck really that they're in that position rather than by design but that that transfer of wealth will occur so Really, they're the sorts of areas that hopefully will at least, if none others, at least they will benefit from that significant increase in demand. And as we know, supply in those locations is finite. It's fixed. Demand is uh, always in excess of supply and that's why we get price appreciation over time.
0: Hmm. So, I often have clients or or new investors come that have just bought a property and they're all excited that they might have gotten it under market value what they perceive to be. So what's more important, buying under market value or buying the right property in the right area? And I think I know what you're going to say, but um,
1: (laughs) relating back to short term versus long term. Yeah. Warren Buffett has a saying that he would rather buy a, a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. And so, so yeah, price, you know, except for let let's put aside that people go and overpay by fifty percent or something like that. But if we're talking about plus or minus ten percent, uh, because you've which, done some which,
0: modelling, haven't you? As to I have, you know, and in the most important over the long term,
1: yeah, and in the most uh, cases, you know, it's it's hard to buy under fair market value by anything more than ten percent. It's very rare. Let's say. So, really, when people think they've got a, a deal, it's probably not more than 10% under fair market value. Let's just make that assumption. So, in that case, it makes no difference whatsoever. I would, of course, you don't want to pay any more uh, than you need to. And if you can buy a bargain in a great area that's also a great property, then that is a, a fantastic yeah. strategy. Except by definition, the thing that makes an asset so great is that it is always going to benefit from strong demand, strong buyer demand in almost any market conditions.
0: Yeah. So and this is what I say to buyers when I'm I'm selling a, a good property as well would you rather yep. go and find something that no one else is interested in I'd be worried about buying that you know yes. and and how do you know that that the property is going to be in demand in worse times if it's not even in demand now when we're in good times? Yep. Wait until you see the other
1: side of the coin. Yep. it's who drops the the price, the the lowest gets the sale, you know, and that's not really the mm. the position you want to be in as a vendor. look, it's possible to buy under fair market value, as you would know too well, Jared. you know sometimes some mm. um, selling agents don't do such a great job of marketing yeah. the property and make some poor decisions, et cetera, et cetera, which impact the the campaign. And look, other times you might get a cheeky offer and the seller
0: against all advice from the agent when you think that you could still get them, more. they—they they just want to move on and they take it. And sometimes yep. I've been—I've been draw dropped as to wow, you know, didn't think they'd—they'd they'd accept that. They'd still present yep. the offer, and, and they yep. do.
1: So. Yep, I heard of a transaction in Melbourne, multi-billion-dollar transaction in Melbourne, where the vendor didn't want to sell to a, a non-resident that was was offering several million more for that okay. particular asset. They wanted to sell to a to a resident so you just never know and price isn't always the most important aspect but when it comes to investing and having an investment strategy you, you must always be prepared to fa- pay fair market value for a great asset I mean if you're not going to be prepared to pay fair market value well you're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities uh, you might not ever buy and it's a false economy because you're, you're missing out on all that opportunity cost but buying well alone means nothing. Like, okay, yeah. you get a small gain, but look, there's entry and exit costs anyway. So, even if you're buying under 10%, you know, you, by the time you pay for stamp duty and selling costs, you probably break even. Yeah. So, it's not like you're setting the world on fire. Um, well, this relates farm- nicely into the whole question on where does property development have
0: its place to because that's the next classic one. And, and look, I when I was starting out and I was trying to chunk up money, it was a good way to do so and to manufacture it not rely on the market per se but then afterwards if you you've then got an asset is it still the best selected property that you could have chosen and yeah so how do you right. see that fitting in
1: look i'd say it a, a more of a, a business than it is an investment strategy so an a investment a, a pure investment to, to my mind is something that's passive will make money while i sleep now property development isn't isn't like running a cafe or a, or a professional services business or so forth, okay, it doesn't require as many hours. But a lot of developments do require a significant amount of time input from the person that's, that's running the development. Yeah. And then there's a, the, all the same sorts of business risks that you would have in any other business as well. So I would regard it more as a business than an investment. Now, if your business, if you're in the business of developing property and that's how you generate your income, that's fine. But how you invest that profit should be a distinctly different equation. You know, you've got to ask yourself, where I've created this equity, I've created this return, now where do I best invest this return? Now, a lot of developers, especially small-scale developers, might say, look, I'll I'll put three townhouses, I'll sell two and keep one. And then they, they sort of sell themselves the idea that that's better. Uh, From a a GST perspective, a capital gains tax perspective, a selling cost perspective, and hey, it's going to give me a 5% rental income yield because it's a brand new property. So, all those things, we sort of tell ourselves that this is a better outcome. I think more often than not, focusing on, again, the short term, you know, the next two or three years rather than sitting back and going, well, okay, I've got this much equity. What is this townhouse going to be worth in thirty years versus if I go and invest in a high land value component property, uh, which is not a brand new property, of course? What is the the growth prospects of that? What's the differential? And maybe I'm better off just taking my money and running. So, I think that's the problem that developers get lured into thinking that they're kind of doing one or both that they're actually investing. Well, it's not. It's a business. Okay, then it's, it's a, combination a good distinction. Of too
0: because. You know, so many people that are doing these things for their first time and and even when you've done it a few times, they're not running it like a business either and there's so much risk that they don't even understand and then what asset are they left with and what taxes are they left to pay and then, of course, what you mentioned as well, the amount of effort energy that goes into this if you just calculate the wage that you would have had to have paid yourself uh, you might be better off putting that time elsewhere.
1: Yeah, and compensation for risk too, Jared, like you mentioned. Mm. There's, there's a, a significant amount of risk that we're seeing at the moment with development with costs of uh, build costs escalating because of COVID, you know, timber and even access to uh, tradespeople and so forth. So, bill costs are up 20%. That's going to wipe out a lot of developer, developers' margins. And at the end of the day, unless they've got a fixed price building contract, in which case they're, I might end up with a, a builder that's gone into bankruptcy, but either way, it's not going to be a good outcome for for the developer. And so we've got to recognize that we want to be rewarded fairly for those risks. and maybe once you impute an alley rate, you may not be actually fairly rewarded. So look, I think it's a small scale of development. I think people a lot of people have made a lot of money from it. so it's it's um, silly for me to sit back and go well, it's not people shouldn't do it. It's a good way to make some short-term profit, and particularly if you need to build your asset base. And if you've got the experience and the time to invest, you can't expect that every development is going to be as profitable as, you know, achieve perfect profitability. So if you can make friends with that, then that's great. It could be a good avenue. But at the end of the day, I would be inviting people to think about, well, that's that's how they make their money, their cash. Well, where do you you best invest it? Yeah. Yeah,
0: that makes a lot of sense. So, have you ever seen people consistently time the market? Because you've been through a number of cycles now as well as I. And what would you advise around timing? Because I seem to find that when I'm able to buy and uh, I'm doing well financially, you know, the markets are doing well too. And, of course, I wish I could always go back and and also find the courage to face the fear of when the market's at the lowest And know that it might be turning around, it is going to turn around in six or 12 months. But sometimes that, I mean, Perth, we went through a a down period for a long time, it felt like it was going to go on forever.
1: Um, So it can be very difficult to time things. But what's your view on timing? In 2000, I bought a property in 2008, can't remember the month there, later 2008, we just, it was a week after Bear Stearns crashed in the in the US. Mm. So it was kind of almost right at the epicenter of the GFC where people were thinking the world was over. And, and I bought under fair market value, so it's the only time I've ever done it. And probably the only time in my life I will ever do it, just right time, right place. But to buy that property at that particular time, I remember I remember I wasn't overly confident. Uh, even having the views that i I have, which is take a long-term view, focus on quality and the business that I'm in, and, and so forth, it still wasn't easy for me. So I think that's the thing we need to remind ourselves is at the moment everything's buoyant, so everyone's feeling super confident. Of course, buying property now is a good idea is the kind of general theme out there. Mm. But when things when it is a good time to buy, It's incredibly difficult to do so because, at least for non-seasoned investors, because there's a whole bunch of reasons of why you shouldn't be buying and probably not many why you should in terms of the conventional wisdom at the time in the media. So, look, you've got to prepare yourself to really buck the trend. You've got to really, and then that's why I think having a good, robust financial plan makes a lot of sense because then you can really focus on the plan and forget about the noise that's surrounding it. So, look, I think it is, it's not impossible to pick markets. And, you know, you would say today it's very difficult. You, if you're going to buy a property in today's property market, you're going to have to pay fair market value or more. You have to overpay to get into the market. Well, that's not a market I would choose to participate in, but just wait a while and I'm sure the market will be more balanced or maybe something around the corner will, like we've had, you know, we've had GFCs, we've had pandemics. Something around the corner will crop up and create a more of a buyer's market. But you just have to tell yourself or promise yourself that when that occurs, that you'll have the guts to yeah. get in. Because and what, I the find, trouble, yes. yeah, <laughs> what I find is sometimes people say to me at the moment, oh, look, it's too hot now. I'm not going to do it. But will you do it? The question yes. is then, will you do it when it's time to do it? You cross paths
0: um, again later and it's almost like the classic people you see it personal development and education <laughs> events. You know, like yes. I used to go to a lot when I was starting out and you'd say, you'd bump into each other again later and you'd say, oh, what have you been up to? And you'd say, oh, I've done this, I've done this, I've actually done this. And they're like, oh, yeah, just not the right time. I'm, wait- I'm yep. wanting to learn some more, wanting to, not the right time, I'll save some more. I'll wait till the market comes down. And of course, when it does, they can't pull the trigger because they also haven't built the habits, the the thinking that is going to enable them to do it at that point. So, And,
1: and the other thing, Jared, the, the good advice I would have is whether you buy a property within the next one or two years won't make a difference. Whether you buy a property in the next five to 10 years will make a big difference. So when I'm saying wait for a better market and and I'm uh, my wife and I are keen to buy a property this year or next, but whenever the right property uh, arises... And it's just a pure investment property, but I'm not going to wait five years. But I'm prepared to wait maybe one, one and a half years. So that's the other thing too. I think at the at the end of the day, you've got to yeah, draw yourself a really deadline. Really a
0: lot of uh, patience.
1: That's right. So have some patience, but I'm not going to wait ten years on the sideline yeah. because I know that you know there's just too much opportunity cost associated with that. So we've got to do something, but we don't have to be stupid and just be mindless and and invest irrespective of opportunity in markets. So, how do buyers know when to walk away? Because it can be hard when your emotions are high. It, it can be. And you, what, what it's really difficult, what is really difficult is to pick market trends as well. So, even in a what, what I would say a balanced or stable market, property prices can move quite considerably in very short periods of time. And that is normal. There's nothing abnormal about that. So, you know, I might go to an auction and the next property you go next week is very similar, but it sells for $100,000 more. And then it doesn't move for the next six months. But that jump of $100,000 is the new price point for that property. So look, I think the best thing to do is take the emotion out of it and go and find yourself a, a really good trustworthy buyers agent that's going to be honest, that's going to look after your best interest and advise you in respect to those things. Because at the end of the day, uh, emotions, uh, certainly don't help us when making financial decisions. They cloud our judgment. They invite us to make poor decisions. So I think uh, having a good buyer's agent provides lots of benefits, including some insurance against asset selection, you know, investing in the wrong asset. I think that's probably the biggest thing that they provide. But the other thing is obviously giving us the confidence of, you know, what's fair market value, what, what is overpriced, what is underpriced without the the cloud of our own sort of emotions involved. Because when you're spending your own money, it's natural to be a bit anxious about it and and really question or second guess yourself. That anxiety is natural, but it's not helpful.
0: Definitely. And I
1: find it's easy for me to advise clients, but a lot harder for me to advise (laughs) myself. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. You've got to leave the emotions at the door and that's not always easy to do. Is there
0: any other ways that you'd suggest listeners can improve their chances of getting it all right, I guess, in summary, because we've danced over sort of what to buy, when to buy, how much to buy, what sort of strategy to take, whether it's an investment or more active
1: in development. Is there any other final thoughts to leave us with? Look, I would just reiterate how important asset selection is. And I said it at the beginning of the the session today, but I can't say it enough that if you get the asset selection right, it'll do all the heavy lifting for you in re- in regards to building personal wealth, and you can make all the other mistakes, and that's fine, and you'll still be okay. So I can't overestimate that a- a- enough, and that's why I say get go and get some advice. People look at buyers agents fees and say, "Oh, twenty grand to for some advice to go and buy a property." It seems like a lot of money, and it's an avoidable expense because if I do it myself you know i've saved myself 20 grand sure but ask yourself what is the growth differential between you doing an okay job and them doing a great job it'll more than pay for itself a hundred times over yeah. over the next 30 years people um, are so, often surprised when they find out that i use buyers agents as I, well and i've and, used i've used buyers agents over the years as well you know paid a lot of fees for for buyers agents and I've got a lot of value. I've got a yeah. tremendous amount of value. And you know, if you're not in the market six days a week, how could you possibly think that you're going to be just as good? Sometimes mistakes are just not obvious. A certain side of the street just doesn't perform. Or this, uh, I had a an example where a great apartment, investment grade location, ticked all the boxes. But the cars, it was used as a bit of a thoroughfare to, through to another suburb and the cars used to get broken into a lot that were parked on the street. And so, the tenant turnover was a lot higher. You're never mm-hmm. going to find that out in a checklist or anything. You're just going yeah. to find that out by buying the property and realizing, hey, I've got to pay a new new letting fee every year just because <laughs> the tenant turnover is high. So, I don't think there's any you know, advice. Good quality professional advice always pays for itself at yep. the end of the day. So I think take that sort of professional investment lens towards your your decision uh, and it will go a a, a long way, a huge way to making sure that you're going to be a successful property investor.
0: Look, and I appreciate you didn't give yourself or your professional plug, but for a long time I struggled because I didn't see the value in financial planners too, but it's been really Great um, having that bouncing board and having an overall plan that you're executing too. And it takes the stress off things as well. Like it's funny that some people might think that having a plan puts a lot of pressure because you've now got goals, but it's quite the opposite for me. It gives me clarity. It makes me feel like as long as I do these basic things over the next five years, then I'm going to be all right later on. Yeah. And I think that. Can't be underestimated either.
1: Yeah. I mean, having a long-term strategy gives you context for making decisions. So, you know, if if, if I've got a client contemplating a career change, for example, that's going to result in a, a different income, are they in a position where they can make that career change without it upsetting their investment strategy or not? Well, without a, a long-term plan, very difficult to make that decision or make that assessment. Uh, with a with a well-thought-out, comprehensive, long-term plan, that's a really easy decision to make. Hey, you can make that decision or no, it's going to compromise things. And at least then you, you learn about what the consequences of those decisions are in advance of making the decision rather than as a result of making it. Awesome.
0: Well, that's a good place to leave things on. And thank you so much for catching up again. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks a lot, Jared. Chat again soon. See you, mate.